This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. This is Rogue. I'm your host, Jeff Gibbard. My guest today is Joe Sanok. Joe, tell us about yourself. Who are you and what is your superpower? Yeah, so I'm trained as a therapist and a counselor, and I help people start, grow, and scale their private practices. I also wrote a book called Thursday is the New Friday, all about how the four-day work week is better for society, better for productivity, and for creativity. Also, I'm a dad of two amazing daughters that are seven and 10. So almost every day I have glitter in my hair or I'm playing with unicorns or mermaids. Uh, But my superpower, I would say, is really helping people transition into the four-day work week and to do more of the work that they love and also spend time with the people that they love. Heck yeah, man. Well, that kind of leads into my next question that I like to ask about superpowers is, uh, and you, you talked around a few of it, but specifically stated, how would you say that helping people to work a four-day work week helps to make the world a better place? Yeah, I think that we tend to spend our lives so stressed out and maxed out. And we intuitively know that when we live that way, we aren't doing our best, most creative work, that we don't come up with new things, we don't try new things. And that by taking the time to slow down a little bit and be intentional instead of reactionary to the world, we then can say, what are my own individual superpowers? How am I going to then use that to better humanity or my parenting or just the world in general? And so even if you just think about Imagine you had Friday off and your kids were in school. What would you get done so that Saturday and Sunday were just epic for your family or just amazing for your friends or even for yourself that you would set yourself up from a physical standpoint by giving yourself that extra time? It actually allows you to do your most creative and best work in the world. I really dig that. I actually just read a book called Do Nothing, and it's a lot about the, uh, the culture of overwork and the importance of idleness. So I'm 100% behind that. I do take my Fridays off and I am with you 100%. A four-day work week is absolutely changing uh, my life for sure. Uh, I spend it all day with my daughter and it's really great. No glitter in my hair yet. She's not up to glitter. Um, all right. Well, well, you've got this superpower. You are able to help people transition to this four-day work week. So the question is, what kind of, uh, how did this superpower come to you? So there's different types of superheroes in like kind of comic book lore, right? Like on the one hand, there's Superman. Superman was just born the way that, you know, his powers came innately in the cells of his body coming from Krypton. So there's superheroes that are are people who are born with superpowers. There's people that have something happen to them, some sort of an event in their life. Like, for instance, Spider-Man gets bit by a radioactive spider, all of a sudden change in the life. And now all of a sudden superpower change of the world. And then there's people like Batman, totally normal, but who acquire super abilities through training and through dedication towards learning those things. So I feel like everybody is often a little bit of all of them because things that we work at and things that happen to us often maybe bring out something that we're born with. So it is always a little bit of all three, but if you had to pick one, how would you say that these superpowers developed? Were you born with this desire to have a four-day work week? Did you have something happen to you and it pivotally changed you? Or was it the sort of thing where Um, you just decided to work at it, work at it, work at it because you knew it needed to happen for you. Yeah. So I think, like you said, it's often a combination of all three. Uh, I would say like many superhero stories, uh, maybe there's these, there was these abilities innately inside of me that I never knew were there. Uh, And so the trauma of middle school and high school and being rejected. And, you know, I went to a Friday night lights football school and 
despite looking at my massive body, I did not play football, <laughs> you know? So uh, I was always on the outside in regards to like in punk rock bands or snowboarding. And I think that that rejection and that kind of outsider experience really helped me see that I don't have to see the world in the way that the world sees it. And over time, really realizing uh, the innate inside of me was this deep connection with doing something other than what I was told I had to do. And so I remember even my freshman year orientation at college, uh, the orientation leader sat us down and said, okay, we're going to make your schedules as a freshman. And I raised my hand and I said, do I have to go to class on Friday? And they're like, no, this is college. Do whatever you want. And so for all of college, I didn't go to class on Friday except for one semester. And so I think like lots of superheroes where there's like this unfolding and revealing of just how powerful they are, but they hadn't even realized it. Uh, it would be that slow, like, whoa, it's been here this whole time. But I just needed to realize that it wasn't something external of myself, but it always was kind of brewing inside of me. It's, it almost makes me think that there's like a fourth category that I'm not thinking of, which is sort of like the latent ability sort of thing where it's, uh, I don't know if you've ever watched, there's a show on Amazon called Invincible. And um, the the son who goes by Invincible is a superhero name is a normal kid. His, his father is, um, uh, you know, a Superman kind of archetype and is married to a, a mortal human, right? And they have this child and his name becomes Invincible. But throughout the majority of his life, the first 18 years, basically, he's normal, no super abilities whatsoever. And then at once they come out and now he can fly and he can do all of these things. So I'm thinking that there's almost like probably a fourth one that you're, you're kind of alluding to, which is that like you had the instinct, but like you didn't really begin to cultivate it until later on. So it's almost like you began to train like Batman because this thing happened to you later on where you realized your latent abilities like Superman came out. So I'm going to have to work on my question because I think there might be a fourth one. Well, and, and I think there's also, you know, those times in the, all the movies where maybe they had a little bit of the superhero-ness, but then the right enemy comes along and then they realize, whoa, like I'm way more explosive than I thought I was. And yeah. I just, uh, and, and so that idea that sometimes we need the right enemy also. And I mean, for me, like 2012, when my you know oldest daughter had open heart surgery and I had cancer, my grandma died, it was just like, I cannot yeah. live this way anymore. Uh, I cannot do this. And the job I had was a great job, but I knew I had to step into what's my greater potential, even if it's the risk of falling on my face. So sometimes we need that equal or even bigger enemy to have us amp up into our real superpower. See, then in that case, I'm going to categorize you as the Spider-Man type because something happened to you and it changed you. So, you know, Spider-Man being my favorite character, I think to myself about how you know, a lot of the abilities and the characteristics of Peter Parker slash Spider-Man is that he's like a brilliant scientist. That didn't happen from the radioactive spider bite. That just gave him a couple, you know, it gave him some pretty extraordinary physical abilities. But most of what makes him the person that he is are things that happened long before it. So I, I'm categorizing you as a Spider-Man type. So let's okay. break down your superpower. <laughs> We're going to break down your superpower, Spider-Man. And I want to know how it works. How do you, how, so one thing that uh, crossed my mind immediately was like, how, how is this possible? Because the culture says to us that we not only have to work five, five days a week, but we have to work overtime and that there's, you know, a culture of meritocracy supposedly. And all of that is supposed to be how you get ahead. Hard work. It's the, it's the work ethic of the USA, right? So there's that. And then there's just all of the conditions that would make being able to work a four day work, work week possible. And from conversations that you and I have had, I know that you've thought about a lot of these different things. So break it down for us. How can people, is this for anyone? Is this for everyone? 
How does the superpower work of being able to design a four-day work week? What did you see? Yeah, I think let's just start with what's abnormal. So the 40-hour work week was started in 1926 by Henry Ford. So we're less than 100 years into this experiment. So we feel like this is normal. This is how it has to be. But the reality is, is there were many ways that people worked. Uh, let's also just look at the American gene pool. And so think about the kind of person that gets on a boat 100 or 200 years ago and says, peace out, I'm leaving my family, I'm going across the ocean for adventure. Our gene pool is made up of people from, from Europe and Asia and South America that had ADHD, that wanted to leave their homes. Like we are a gene pool of adventurers. And so that's not always true across the rest of the globe. And those people are able to live different lifestyles than we live. And so if we just start with, okay, we've been handed something. Is this the way it has to be? Or could there be a better way? And so if we even look at how we were living pre-pandemic, our health outcomes were terrible. There's a 30-year study that I talk about in the book that looks at our sleep outcomes, our happiness outcomes, our overall just unhealthiness. It's terrible based on the amount of income and affluence that we have. And so I think what the pandemic really did for us is it showed us we don't have to do things the way that we think we have to do it. Whether you're in a 40 hour work week or you're in your own kind of self entrepreneurial world, there are many ways that we can do this. So let's just start with that, that we can do it differently. I would say, secondly, we need to shift from that old industrialist mindset of saying we are going to create an assembly line and we're going to set it and forget it. People are not machines. We are not machines. The system of our life is not a machine. That analogy worked in 1926. It's what they needed for a step away from the agricultural era. And it doesn't work for us anymore. We're moving into an evolutionary experience where we change, we adapt, we're intelligent as we're moving forward. So we try one thing in one industry and we say, whoa, these three out of the five parts worked really well. It's not a failure. That just means we get rid of the two parts that didn't work. Let's try those three plus two new parts. So over time, what we're doing is we're getting smarter with our businesses. We're evolving and growing in a way that we couldn't have if we had that old industrialist mindset. So how do you, um, the, you know, the immediate thing that I think of is you're talking about a change from how we come to understand it now, right? So you mentioned that this is the past hundred years. It's only seems normal to us now, but despite it only being a hundred years old and seeming normal to us now, it is part of the culture to work this five days, to work these 40 hours, to potentially put in extra. All of those things are part of the culture that we currently have. And I think even everything that you're saying, and, and I know some of the other conversations we've had about it, there's a lot of justification to say that we should do this. But there's still the fear of changing from what you know. It's like that the devil you know thing that, that, that they say. Um, how did you even at first, and I know you were doing the, the, five, the, the four days in college, so you took the Fridays off, so you had a little bit of experience with it. But how did you have the courage to step away from the culture and do it a different way? Where did that yeah, come so from? So my first job out of grad school, um, when they offered the job, I said, I want a four-day work week. And they said, okay. <laughs> so, so right from the get-go of my career, I saw that I had way more negotiation power than I thought that I had. Um, I actually asked for, because the job itself, it was a counseling job. I had to drive an hour and 15 minutes to the counseling practice. Um, and I said to them, 
I want to have a car that you give me. I want you to pay my gas mileage and I want you to pay me for the time that I'm in the car thinking if I get one of these things, like I'm going to be happy. And they gave me all three and a four day work week. And so to just realize that oftentimes we have way more power than we think that we have. And it's better to over ask and then retract than it is to not even ask at all. But then, you know, I got into your typical 40 hour work week was started a counseling practice and a podcast and was working the 50, 55 hour work week for a long time. It was then in 2015 when I left that full-time job at the community college and was back to being entirely in charge of my schedule and said, I'm going to take Fridays off for this first summer and just see what happens. I'm going to do it as an experiment. Uh, and then we're going to look at the data in the fall and, and say, did this work? Uh, and so I committed to June, July, and August of 2015, taking every Friday off. And so at the end of that summer, I looked back and June of that year had been the best month I had had ever in my business. July was better than June and August. August was better than July. So every month I was making significantly more than the month before. So I kept that four day work week going, but from an experimental mindset, this isn't this just like woo woo, let's will it to the universe and hope that it works out. It's I need some data and some dashboards to really say what's working here. And so for entrepreneurs, the big problem is that we are ADHD oftentimes. We are, you know, have all these ideas and things that we could work on. And that distracts us from the very best use of our time. And so if we say, I'm going to shorten the period of time of how much I'm going to allow myself to work, are we going to do the best 15 out of 20 tasks or the worst 15 out of 20 tasks? We're going to do the best 15. And when you do the best 15 week after week, and then you drop the ball intentionally in the fluff that you had been working on where you felt so busy, but really were you? Uh, we see that the research is showing that those last eight hours actually are zero productivity if not less productivity. So like that Iceland study of the, of the four day work week, they found that in 32 hours, people were more productive than people in 40 hours. So that means that last eight hours, not only was it less productive, it was not productive. It actually was detrimental to the productivity of people by working 40 hours. In the same way, if you had a surgeon that worked 70 hours a week, you don't want to be that 70th hour, same sort of thing where you know that the more you work, the worse it gets. There's a, I forget what the rule is and you may know it, but there's a rule that states that work will fill the amount of time um, that, that's like provided. So like if you're given 10 hours to do a task, you'll take 10 hours. But if you're given four, you'll somehow find a way to fit it into four. And I'm sure there's points where that breaks. But the idea was that if you were to give people more time they need, they're just going to fill that time to, to make those tasks work. I forget what the name of the rule is. Yeah, Parkinson's law. So I, yeah. I have a whole section in one of the chapters about Parkinson's law. So a lot of people have heard that part of it. But the other side of it that Parkinson noted was uh, he was looking at the British military and he looked how year after year, when bloating occurred, it would never be pulled back. And so the idea that organizations get more and more bloated over time, um, it, almost to the point that they can't undo it, that once things are established, the red tape is almost immovable. And so the idea that in our businesses, we're going to build up bloating, um, that unless we intentionally go through and say, we're going to reduce this significantly, that side of it, as well as the work expanding to the time given, makes it that we can have such lean businesses uh, compared to how that old way would have been. Got it. So we started down that you started down the path a little bit of talking about how it works exactly. So I think we've made a really good case here for why you should do it, but specifically getting into how you do it. You mentioned in your own uh, version of doing it, uh, being experimental about it, that you didn't commit that like forevermore, I shall be a four day work week. But instead you said, hey, let's see what happens. Let's see how it works. And then you also mentioned um, doing some some uh, analysis over how it worked. 
So can you break down for those listening? Um, you know, the, the goal of Rogue is I want people to walk away from this, being able to walk away with a brand new superpower, to be able to immediately implement something new and change their lives. So if somebody wants to walk away from this episode and know how they can change from a five-day work week to a four-day work week, what are the questions they should ask themselves? What are the steps they can take? What, how does it start? How does it end? Sure. The first thing is the mindset of slowing down, leading to absolutely killing it. Uh, and so, so often we spend our lives just being burned out through the week and then we're barely recovering over the weekend and then we get burned out again. So when we flip that and say, we need to slow down first to do our very best work, that's where we're starting. So we're starting with the slowing down, setting clear, hard and soft boundaries. And by that, I mean, there's going to be boundaries that you should never move. So for example, every Wednesday night, I go to improv. My abs hurt so much on a Thursday from laughing. It is the best workout and moments of my week when it comes to laughter. That is immovable. I am going to do that unless something pops up that is just crazy. So having those hard boundaries for yourself personally, but within your business, when do you turn off the computer? When, after your kids are in bed, do you ever go back onto email? Maybe the answer is no. So having those hard boundaries and then having those soft boundaries, those are maybe more aspirations. So for example, on a Friday morning, I'm never going to have an ongoing consulting client. But if my director of details sends me a text and says, your website's on fire, the podcast is on fire, I'm going to put it out. I'm not going to say burn it till Monday. And so being able to have those very clear bookends to when there's work and when there's non-work. I would say then the next quick right there. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens when a hard boundary and a soft boundary collide? So let's say your hard boundary is the Wednesday night improv, and then you get the websites on fire. The podcast is on fire on Wednesday night. How do you manage that when a hard boundary has to become a soft boundary or do you just, is it just, it is a hard boundary and you will deal with it after improv. Yeah. And so, I mean, I would ask myself what's going to happen if I let this hour and a half go by where I am in improv, what kind of person will I be on the other side of improv? Also, will I get the most out of improv if I know this is going on? So I may say, okay, a 10 minute phone call is going to make my experience of improv significantly better. And the stress on the other side of improv is going to be significantly worse or significantly less. Or I may say, you know what, like I need this improv and what can you do to mitigate the fire to just keep it at bay for the next hour and a half. I'm about to enter into improv. So that's where oftentimes we want this exact roadmap for every single solution it's being able to think and grow in the moment to then say, what am I applying here? I want to get the most out of improv while not lighting my whole business on fire. Sometimes we do um, over amplify the problems and think if I don't do this, this second, an hour and a half from now, the thing's going to be burned down. Is that actually true? That if you step away, like what if you were on a flight when this happened and your phone was on airplane mode and they didn't have Wi-Fi and there was no way to contact you, would your business really burn down in an hour and a half? And if so, maybe you've done a really crappy job building your business, you know, like, so, so that's where I would ask some questions. And the most central question to me would be how present will I be able to be during improv compared to if I do a quick phone call to maybe at least slow this thing down. Uh, Because if I'm in improv and not even enjoying myself because my mind is completely elsewhere, it's worth it for me to go work on that for even, you know, half of the time of improv. Uh, So, so making sure that you really think through it uh, in those moments. Got it. Okay. Rocking. Okay. So sorry to interrupt you. You said, no, please do slowing down, uh, clear, hard and soft boundaries. What happens next? Yeah. So then when you're entering into the week, 
you want to absolutely kill it when it's time to work. So my mindset when I go into a workday is that every minute that I'm dinking around or not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I am stealing minutes from my family, my friends, from my healthy self, from being able to go for a walk. So if I'm taking you know a minute here and a minute there, and I'm not doing something that moves the needle forward, now that minute may be, I do need to step back from the work. Uh, we know that micro breaks every 20 minutes, even one minute will help us combat vigilance decrement, the amount that we can pay attention over time. So that may be part of it that I do take those breaks. But if I'm just wasting time or I haven't planned out what my day is going to look like or made sure that I know exactly what my schedule is, that's stealing time from my family. And so making sure that I make the most out of that time when I am working. And so there's a few strategies there. We want to set up our environment to be able to actively trigger flow states. So when I was writing the book, Thursday's the new Friday, it was every single Thursday, I would set up my office in a way that triggered flow states. So I had different lighting that I only did that lighting on that day. I moved my writing chair to a different part of the room. Uh, I had headphones that I listened to music on and I only listened to that playlist when I was writing. And I only used those headphones during that period of time for writing. And so being able to trigger those flow states uh, with our environment is something that we want to do as well. So then what happens after that? So setting up the environment for flow state, capitalizing on the work when you're doing it. One thing that um, I want to actually double back on real quick is this is once you're getting into it and you've made the decision. Is there anything you need to do prior to even taking steps one, two, and three to kind of set up that you're going to be doing the four-day work week? I, so I know mm, it's going to be yeah. different if you work for someone or you work for yourself, which is always going to be like a, a sort of a challenge conversation because it's almost two different conversations. But assuming you want to do the four-day work week, this is the steps of once you've kind of made that decision. Are there any criteria or things that you need to do before actually starting to implement the four-day week that helps you to set it up for success. Yeah. So if you are working for someone else, I would read through, I have a 5,000 word article on Harvard business review on how to ask your boss for a four day work week. So I would say that's just the authoritative guide and how do you walk through in a typical job to, to work with your boss on that? So I would definitely cool. say, just go read that. It'll walk you through it all. I'm going to put so that in your question. notes. I'm going to grab that right now. Okay, perfect. Um, so then what do you do before you get to this moment? Yeah, that's a really good question. I would look at your schedule coming ahead and start blocking out time. And so it may be that you start with, it's the first Friday of the month that you take off. It may be that it's every other Friday. It may be that uh, you know every other Friday, I'm gonna stop at noon. Start testing something. Don't just fall into your old habits. When we're inspired, that's when we wanna take the action. Uh, the other thing that I would recommend to help yourself believe in this even more uh, before you dive full in is look at your next weekend. Add something and remove something from the weekend. And so look and say, what's something I can add this weekend that is going to just give me so much life that I just feel so rejuvenated from the weekend. So maybe there's a novel that's been next to, you know, on your nightstand for months, or maybe there's a movie you've been wanting to watch, uh, you know, a new Marvel movie that came out and you haven't caught it. Like give yourself permission to do that thing that you're so excited about. And then on the other side, remove something from your weekend schedule. And so maybe you have a friend that you're scheduled to go get coffee with them and it's always so draining and you just feel like trash afterwards. Like you can cancel that coffee date with your toxic friend. You can have your groceries delivered to you. You can have the neighbor kid mow your lawn. So finding that one thing that you pull out of your schedule. Now we're not saying this is gonna be the lifestyle you live the rest of your life. It's experimenting to see 
does this give me the life that I thought? You may find that when the neighbor kid mows, you're like, that was actually kind of a mindful time away from my kids that I, I, I liked being away and now I don't have that. And so over time, you're finding these things that just boost the amount of life that you have while also then removing the things that drain you. So, so then that's going to help you just see a little bit of a glimpse into kind of this modality without going full tilt into it. Got it. Okay. So let me just quickly recap to, to get us back to where we are. So yeah. if you work for somebody else, step one, go read the HBR article, how to ask your boss for a four-day work week, which will be linked in the show notes. That's a good starting point for how to ask. Uh, if you work for yourself, start to think about things that you can add to your schedule that would make your life amazing and things you could pull out from your schedule. And then start to think of that in terms of doing that in a four-day work week so that you're you're living your life that's a little bit more on terms with the type of life you want to lead. Once you get into it, start with the mindset of slowing down and get yourself into the idea that you don't have to be working every minute and that you have to keep burning the midnight oil and all of that. Set yourself some clear, hard, and soft boundaries. What are the time that is totally protected and completely immovable unless it is an absolute catastrophe? And where are the soft boundaries where you typically won't move it, but it is a little bit of flexible if it's super important. And then the third step, which um, once we've gotten started, the third step where it's going to move us into our next thing, which is about making sure that during the work time, you're actually set up to crush it during it. So that's setting up your environment for flow state and just being really ready to capitalize on every moment of that work so that you can really crush it in four days rather than spreading that out over five. Did I capture everything? Did I miss anything? Dang, man. <laughs> You got your whole show notes written right there. I do. They're literally right next to me. Okay. So catch us up now from there on. We've set up the environment for flow state. We are ready to take advantage of four days a week. What happens next? Yeah. So two more things. So the next is the first model and then it's your sprint type. So the first model, um, what we're looking at is, and all of these, I want to kind of pause in the middle of it. We want to think about these less as a prescription, like the industrialist would have said, here is everything you need to do to be successful. No, instead, we want to view this more as a menu where you're learning and experimenting and trying because there's going to be tools that work better for you at certain times than others. So the new model of books is moving away from that industrialist model that's so here's the five steps, do them all, and more moving into this is a menu. Try some of these things out and give it a whirl and then get the data for yourself. Yeah, right, so more the first, framework than yeah. sequence. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so for the first model, we, we first want to look at the F is for fruit. And so where is the low hanging fruit? We want to start in your business or in your life with what's already easy. And so oftentimes this is, you've already got a handful of consulting clients, a handful of IT clients, a handful of whatever, people who have already given you money. Let's interview them as to what else they wish that you would start. Um, so we have a whole kind of framework of how you do that. But just working with what's easy, what's hard, what's the low-hanging fruit? Because um, so often, especially people that are ideas people, they want to launch a new product, a new e-course, a new podcast. And it's like, your podcast is already killing it, man. Like just work on that audience and, you know, grow that by 10% rather than putting all this energy into something brand new. So we want to optimize that low hanging fruit. Next, we want to inflect. So the I is inflect. And so we're acting as if, and so what's happening is we're taking on the posture of where we are headed. Uh, you know, when I was younger in my career, I always heard um, dress for the job that you want, not the job that you have. Uh, and so that, that idea that you're stepping into something uh, in a new way. So for example, uh, I want this book to be a New York Times bestselling book. So I researched what do New York Times bestselling authors do in the lead up to their books? 
You know, they do over 200 media appearances. They hire a professional PR company. They do all these specific things. So I'm inflecting, I'm acting as if I'm already a New York Times bestselling author. Now, does that mean that I'm just willing it to the universe and hoping it happens? No, I'm still doing the hard work of it. Does it mean that I'm lying about it and saying to people I'm a New York Times bestselling author? No, but I'm having a posture where if I were on a podcast with a New York Times bestselling author, the people would look at the two of us and say, they both must be successful because you know Joe is acting as if he's already there. And so figuring out what does it take, even researching the interviews, you want about 40% of your content to be science, 40% of it to be storytelling, and then the rest to just be a step back and say, here's the big picture. So making sure that I'm weaving that story and research into the interviews. So then the R is to reinvest. Uh, so we want to reinvest money and time back into the system. Uh, so the way that looks for me is, you know, when I'm launching a book like this, you know, in a few months when the tour is over and we look at the results, there's going to be a lot on my plate. And so I can't just add something new to that plate. Instead, I need to invest in my team to start taking as much off of my plate as possible. So what have I been doing kind of during this launch where we're just going full steam ahead? You know, maybe I'm posting on social media and I'm doing Facebook lives and I'm doing all these other things. I need to have the team then start to take over more of that to remove that time and energy from my plate. So I'm reinvesting in the team and the systems and the people so that then that time and energy is freed so I can then move into that next big thing. Then the S of it is specialized. We want to continue to specialize more and more. And so you know, when we think about it, if you go to a restaurant, and it's say it's a super fancy French restaurant and you want a hamburger, uh, that's going to be a delicious hamburger, even if it's not on the menu. Whereas if you go to some burger joint, you want creme brulee, it's going to be crappy creme brulee, you know? So specializing is almost always in your interest to drill down further and further to be able to get those top tier clients. And then the last, uh, the T of first is time limited. Uh, we don't want this to be a five-year goal. When I think about who I was five years ago, uh, I would have played way too small. So we're looking at six, maybe 12-month goals. So even in looking at this book, for example, as a big step forward for me, you know, the first six months were interviewing and finding an amazing agent. So I wasn't starting with, I'm, I'm writing the book yet. It's these next six months, my sprint is finding an amazing agent, interviewing them, making sure I have a good quality person. Then the next six months was working with a writing coach on the proposal. And so even though the big goal is a traditionally published New York Times bestselling book, it's still broken down into these six-month segments. Got it. Okay. So first I got fruit, inflect, reinvest, specialize, and time limited. This is going to be amazing show notes, by the way. Okay. So then you said the next and final step is the sprint type. And this is part of the menu of options to get you to being able to do a four-day work week. So take us through sprint. Yeah. So oftentimes we hear sprints or batching uh, and a lot of people will take the time um, to put in 20 minutes, half an hour, or a whole morning around a specific topic. And then they feel like, did I really get more done during that? Uh, and the problem is, is that we have particular sprint types similar to personality types. And so in personality types, you want to match your natural abilities and ways that you think with what you're trying to achieve. So if you're an Enneagram three, like myself, an achiever, like I want to keep that in check, but I also want to make sure I'm using that to my best interest. So in the same way, sprint types are, are the same way where we want to match that with the DNA of your brain. 
So the first way to think about it is a time block sprinter. So a time block sprinter is a person that during a specific time block, usually one to four hours, is doing one primary task. So they might do a bunch of podcast interviews for four hours. Um, they might work on an e-course. Uh, for me, every Thursday, I was working on my book. Um, and so doing that one task in 20 to 30 minute segments with at least a one minute break between them where you're setting a timer, going full tilt. The other type is the task switch sprinter. So a task switch sprinter is someone that needs that variety. They get bored really quickly. There's nothing wrong with that, but they then will have the tendency to try to quote multitask, which we know doesn't work. So instead you say, I'm going to do this one sprint with this particular task. Then I'm going to do another sprint with this particular task. So it's giving you that variety, but you're still making tremendous progress in these other areas. So the next part of your sprint type is when are you actually doing the sprint? So an automated sprinter has it automated in their schedule to repeat. So for me, that was every Thursday working on the book. So I was an automated and time block sprinter. And so by doing that, it's always in the schedule. It just repeats every single time. Whereas the other type of sprinter of when you do it is an intensive sprinter. So this type of person is going to go away for a three-day weekend. They're going to rent an Airbnb. They got to get away from the kids and the family and everything and just have that time to get away. And so when you do this, you load up all the tasks. You may do it. It's all podcasts, or maybe it's going to be a variety of tasks. So when you figure out your sprint type, then when you actually show up to sprint, you're pairing it with the way your brain actually thinks. I like this. This actually reminds me a lot of... Um some of the work that Cal Newport did on deep work, it mm. uh, feels like a, a slightly simplified, um, not simplistic, but simplified. Like it, it removes multiple different types. And it kind of says like, here's the primary ones. So I really dig that. Um, I think that I was trying to fit who I am in these. And I think I'm a bit of all of them, strangely enough, uh, but I'm definitely a time block sprinter. I like to set aside like between four and eight hours and just like go full tilt on a full project and get it done. So um, love it. Um, all right. So we've got the sprint piece of it. We, uh, we've kind of like directed those sprints using the first model. Uh, we've got ourselves set up mentally because we're going to capitalize on that time and we know how we're going to set up our, our flow state. We've got our hard and soft boundaries around time and we've given ourselves the mindset we're going to slow down and we're going to try and not push ourselves um, you know, in that old traditional sort of industrialist way. We're instead going to start taking things a little slower, appreciating our time off and trying to fit our most important work into those four days. Are there any other steps that we need in order to take this superpower from you? I, mean, I would say that those are the core elements and that really it's putting in the reps uh, over and over to just realize that you're a human being. You're not a human doing. Like I, I don't remember who first said that, but I love it. It's, it's, we get to be people first. We don't have to just be what the industrialists gave us. We are not machines. Uh, and so to bring that humanity back in, that's going to help us as individuals, as friends, as partners, as parents, and it's also going to help our businesses. Dig it, man. Okay. So how can people get in touch with you when Gotham is in trouble or if they want to hire you? <laughs> just put a big thing in the sky that says Thursday's the new Friday and uh, I'll come flying over there. Uh, no, uh, I would say that uh, the best way to connect with me is joesanok.com. Uh, that's where we have all of my keynote presentation information, uh, info on the podcast and on the book. And then wherever you want to get the book, uh, Thursday is the new Friday. You can purchase that from your local bookstore, Amazon, Target. Uh, and then if you buy 10 of them, you actually get to be a part of the Thursday is the new Friday mastermind group, which is a six part uh, mastermind group. It's totally live where we go deeper into the book, help you implement the book. And then most importantly, connect with other people that are making Thursday, the new Friday. So you just submit your receipt over at Thursday is the new Friday.com. 
I dig it, man. Joe, thank you so much for coming on to Rogue and uh, graciously sharing how your superpower works on letting people steal it for themselves. So if you're out there listening and you got something from this, please tell someone else about it because ideally we're all going to be working four or possibly one day, three day work weeks. Uh, in the future, uh, please pick up Joe's book, uh, find him all over the web. And uh, if you if you reach out to him on social, you can thank him for coming onto the show and sharing his secrets. This has been another episode of Rogue. Joe, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it, man. Uh, thank you so much, Jeff.